seeing gold, like you say, especially coming off, you know, 150 bucks consolidating at or around 2000 is very healthy and very good for the overall market, especially as you're talking about, you know, pushing through and looking forward into 2024 and what's going to happen then. And, and then you mentioned the banks and all their targets. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics as we continue our coverage in the gold and silver world as we're now rounding out 2023. Amazingly enough, a uh, year has gone by quickly. Lots of ups and downs in both the gold and silver pricing. And fortunately for what may be his last appearance on the show of 2023 is Steve Cope of Silver Viper Minerals joining me to dig into some of the things that have happened and offer some thoughts on what to look forward to in 2024. So, Steve, great to have you here with me today, as always. And how are you doing there, my friend? Doing well, Chris. You know, I thought after our last interview, this was going to be us flying high. I was looking at what gold and silver were doing, you know, a week and a half ago. I was getting really excited. This is what we were talking about. This is what we said was coming. And I thought, you know, finally we were going to do a follow-up video and be like, see, we were right. <laughs> and we were. It just it was, it was a much shorter, shorter bump up and that initial bump up than we were hoping. Well, I suppose some of these things are a matter of perspective. And here we have our gold gold chart. We're recording Tuesday afternoon on December 12th. Obviously, yeah, a week and a half ago, we had that spike on the Sunday night open brought us over the $2,150 level. Although, I guess another way of looking at it is that to have $150 sell-off and still be sitting around the $2,000 level, just a couple dollars off is a positive in its own right. Before we hit the record button, you were talking about how a lot of the producers are doing pretty well with a $2,000 gold mark. And um, so I suppose it depends on how you look at it, yet we're seeing bigger swings. We saw 150 up, 150 down. And in the midst of what's happening where I mean, we're not in an environment, another thing you mentioned before we hit record, where five, 10 years ago, a lot of the banks were calling for substantially lower gold prices coming out almost universally that for the reports that we've seen so far for 2024, in the midst of everything that's happening, still calling for a higher gold price in the 2000s, uh, I'm seeing 2100, 2200, 2400, and um Anyway, with all that said, curious how you look back on what we've seen throughout 2023 and any thoughts on anything I just mentioned there and heading into 2024. No, I mean, you're right, especially on gold. You know, it's 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 always the weird thing. And we were talking about before we were started recording as well about, Mark, you know, sentiment of investors and people that are looking at the space and seeing gold, like you say, especially coming off, you know, 150 bucks consolidating at or around 2000 is very healthy and very good for the overall market, especially as you're talking about, you know, pushing through and looking forward into 2024 and what's going to happen then. And, and then you mentioned the banks and all their targets. You know, one of the interesting things was almost across the board, all the banks shorted gold right after that night when it spiked up. So it was, uh, you know, they've got these great targets, but they still don't like big swings and jump, jump on the bandwagon to push it back down into a, into a range fairly quickly. But no, the gold producers are doing very well at 2000 gold. That's kind of one of the things that we've always talked about. And, and, you know, we've mentioned in talking on the silver side, 
you know, the silver prices, the primary silver producers are hurting and why most of the primary silver producers have become gold producers because it's been a healthier market here, you know, in this, in this bear market. Um, and, and, but they make money. They were making money at 19. They're making money at 2000. You know, these are, these are healthy numbers that most of the gold producers are creating a lot of positive profits. Now, we mentioned and talked about market sentiment and and that's kind of one of the the strange things about this equity market for the last two years is you've got you know companies like agnico eagle you know more than 50 percent off their all-time high and yet you're trading around record gold prices and their revenues and their profits are very high and so that that you know you wonder we talk about okay we should be excited gold's at 2000 but most of people's portfolios aren't in the physical metal. You know, they're they're invested in the juniors, the producers, the ETFs, you know, all these paper markets. And they'll, you know, those have been hit hard over the last two years and haven't performed like they should relative to what the metals prices have done. So we you get this weird two-year period where metals have done, you know, they've held their own. They've either, you know, started the year and ended the year at the same price this year. They're going, you know, they're up higher than where they started. So, that, you know, it should be a market that people are getting more and more positive about. And we have some positive sentiment finally coming back, but it's been something that's just been beat down. And it's because people look at those those paper investments in the equities and they've been kicked. You know, the junior space, we're down, you know, 80, 90 percent off our highs in a lot of cases. So it's it's this tough equity market. And that just speaks more to the, you know, the overall economy and different things that are going on and where people are struggling and why they needed to sell their paper assets. But, but that's where it's been frustrating. And it's that divide between the physical price and the price of the equities that just eats people up inside. Well, do you think we see a bit of a change in that, especially let's say that for the rest of December, we get somewhere around a $2,000 gold price which would, I believe, leave us a higher average price over the quarter than what we saw in the third quarter. Do you think it'll be a matter of some of the producers will start having some good earnings, which will be perhaps the turning point of bringing money back into the sector? Or what do you think it takes to see that turnaround? Yeah, I mean, I the the, the biggest part of it is we need the generalist funds to get really excited and come back into the space. I think, you know, it's the the precious metals funds still don't have the inflows you know they're i've heard from some they're starting to kind of balance the inflows to the outflows but so they're, they're not having to sell different companies to invest they could kind of just sit there and tread water and not really do much but and they're and they're cautiously optimistic that that it's going to get better here over the next you know the short term but the big thing is we need those big generalist funds that don't really know anything about precious metals investing and rely on those precious metals funds and will pour their money into them. You know, the really high net worth individuals starting to pour their money into some of those funds to place their bets for them. And that, because it's those funds that really write the bigger tickets that finance the junior space that will then go out and find, you know, the materials and then the producers will buy them. You know, we haven't had, you know, those earnings help, and but the producers have been very cautious about their strategic investments in the juniors, and a lot of them just haven't done it because they've they've seen the economy, they've seen different things happen in the world, and they've been a lot tighter with their cash so far. But there's always that pressure on them of their reserves and resources depleting, and their investors saying, you know, you've got to grow your production profile, you've got to replace, you know, the existing production, go find 
the next vines that are going to, you know, make us more money, especially as we come into, you know, potentially a, a market where metals prices are going to run. They want those mines online and taking advantage of those prices. So there's always that pressure on those guys. And at some point you're going to see, and I, again, I think it's going to be very soon. You're going to see them go on an M&A splurge where they start buying, you know, those existing development assets that are out there or single kind of, you know, asset producers to start, you know, increasing their own reserves and resources and mining, you know, production profile. But they also will need to start redeploying a lot of that capital far more aggressively into the junior space. You know, when you meet with a lot of these miners, they, oh, we love what you're doing, but we have no budget to right now to invest in the juniors or very, very little. And they say, oh, we really feel for you. This is really tough. It's like, well, you guys, there's only two avenues where the juniors typically get financed and it's through the producers or it's through, you know, the funds, you know, the retail and, and you know, high net worth can take you so far, but, and they've been really carrying the day on the finance things that have been done this last year for most of the juniors, but we need, we need that big influx of capital to come into the space and it will, it always does. It's cyclical, but it's been it's been a too long of a downturn this turn you know a, a tough downturn in the market and and it's time that some of that capital starts coming back in and really i mean you look at the share prices that are out there right now and it's you know easy pickings like even the bad companies are going to perform very well as soon as these metals prices really start to run so if you've got capital out there and you are you know contrarian or semi contrarian in nature this is the the sector on the equity side that you should be looking at because it's, you're going to make a fortune. It's just, you've got to be patient and got to be willing to just, you know, deploy that capital. Yeah, that certainly is the case. And perhaps at least in terms of one indication of a little bit of a shift, we see that the investor inflows were into uh, GLD net inflows of more than a billion in November which reversed what we had seen. Here we take a look at GLD and you can see some inflows in the blue lines in November after a lot of outflows earlier through the year and certainly would be nice to see. And, and perhaps that's the first sign of seeing some more stability in the gold price before we get movement back into the miners. Um, interesting note here on the silver side. This was from the Silver Institute with their update for the mid-year. And again, just looking at the mine production, we had a peak back in 2016, 900 million ounces. And this has gone steadily down when the COVID shutdowns, we were down to 783. But um, interesting, as you, as you point out, that there's in some cases, lack of investment, some cases harder to find projects on the silver side. And, you know, again, we're also running a deficit and at the prices that we have right now, as you've mentioned quite a few times on the show, not bringing a lot of new investment in. And just any thoughts on that decline we've seen, you know, it's been going on longer than you and I have been talking about it, but now we have some factors that perhaps could even exacerbate that going forward. And any thoughts on that drop in the silver mine production that we've seen over the past half decade or so? Well, there's, there's a number of factors to that, you know, and, and the main one is it's harder and harder to find silver assets, just the way they form a lot of the near surface or at surface assets have been found. 
So what do you what do you have out there for new production while you know the existing mines are you know running through their reserves? There's not a lot of choices, there's not a lot of options. And then, you know, because as we're talking about silver here, you know, we're here silver again at, you know, we got up to 25, we're pulled back now to, you know, the high 20 or high 22 range to 23. Silver miners don't make money at those prices. Primary silver mines don't make money. You need $30 plus silver for most of the primary silver mines to make a go of it. So, I mean, there there are some very rare exceptions to that, but as in general, that's what the silver producers have needed before all this inflation. They certainly need to at least mid twenties before the inflation. So we'll say for sure thirty now. So where most of that production comes as a byproduct basis from either you know gold mines as a byproduct or the big copper, lead, zinc, porphyry style deposits and and those, and then you start putting you know the political pressure on the jurisdictions where the biggest porphyries are, and you're not going to get a lot of new production coming out of them. And, and there's no, because of the silver price and the amount of silver relative to the other metals in those deposits, there's no incentive for those miners to ramp up production and just chase the silver or anything along those lines. I mean, you would have to, I don't know what the number would be for silver to really put the pressure on them to do that, but it, you're, you're talking hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars silver before they would, you know, start, isolating and targeting silver to you know try and increase the growth of it as far as how much they're producing so that number is going to keep coming down and then the demand number is going to keep going up regardless of you know here they're showing it kind of treading water slightly down from last year but we still have this early stage push of where we're at in this green movement and we know how much silver is needed you know on the solar side and on the infrastructure side and in the electric cars and all these electrical components and it's not out there. And it, you know, and even as it sits right now, the demand is exceeding supply. We're ripping through the deficits or the, the sorry, the holdings at these various banks and the deposits that are, you know, it's disappearing. And and on top of that, I think when we said when the Silver Institute report came out on the demand side, they had India way off. And then India, right after they came out with the report, you know, bought a massive amount of silver, which will also skew these numbers and make it even more out of whack as far as what the demand was versus the supply. Yeah, I'm interesting to see how those India numbers affect things, because like you mentioned, it came out right after this was published and had been basically flat on the year. Then you get that 60 million ounces. I wonder how much the deviation will see to that and certainly makes the uh, November and December figures something to keep an eye on. Uh, but yeah, you laid it out in terms of talking about how we have the industrial demand. The solar numbers continue to be quite massive, um, quite quite a range of figures that we're seeing there. And in terms of where is all this silver coming from, I found it interesting that in a Bank of America report, they mentioned something that we've talked about quite a bit here. Silver prices have been supported by fundamentals. Granted, silver is often traded over the counter reducing visibility, but it's worth noting that above-ground stocks, especially at storage sites linked to Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the LBMA, have fallen steadily. And I don't know if 2024 will be the year where that becomes a wider spread concern, but again, I just think it's interesting that the banks are talking about a lot of the same things that you and I have been seeing, whether on the silver side, the gold side, and Again, uh, at the same time all of this is happening, now we're getting 
a pretty widespread consensus that the Fed will be cutting next year. Uh, again, uh, by the time this is broadcast, this will be just moments before the Fed's latest meeting. And curious, any thoughts you have uh, on what what we'll be seeing out of the Fed going into that one? No, I mean, again, I don't, I don't think there'll be too much exciting on this one. You know, we'll probably get the the token. We're still pausing rates. We're gonna, but but we've got to, you know, hedge that with, you know, we're gonna keep an eye on the economy and you know the jobs and everything else. And we may or may not raise rates, but right now, and then we'll see the minutes, and it'll be obvious that no no one wants to raise. They probably are starting to talk about dropping, but they won't admit it on their announcement when he speaks. <laughs> so it's the always the usual jargon back and forth, covering their butts. They, they can't, I mean, they can, I guess, but they're not going to raise rates anymore unless something very dramatic happens in this world that changes on some sort of you know black swan event that no one's anticipating that would somehow warrant them raising rates. Inflation goes through the roof overnight and they admit and accept that inflation is way higher. I don't know. But to me, you're right. I mean, the expectation is, is that there's going to be rate drops rate cuts next year i don't think it'll be early in the year i do think it'll wait to the latter half of the year before they really start but if there's enough pressure on them they you know maybe with the election too they may want to try and hype hype up the economy of it there may be pressure on them to do the rate cuts earlier and make the stock market look stronger make you know everyone else feel better about themselves going into an election because right now, the way the economy is sitting, both you know in Canada and the U.S., I mean, we're looking, you know, Trudeau and the Liberals here are heavy underdogs leading into their next election, and thank God for that for the time being. <laughs> Let's hope that stays that way. Um, in the U.S., I mean, again, I think right now the Republicans are, from what I saw, Trump's leading in Georgia and Michigan. They're not even sure if he's going to lead his party because he won't even show up for a debate, so because he doesn't need to. Um, but, you know, outside of something crazy in the U.S. happening, I think, where, you know, Trump doesn't become the Republican nominee and then decides to run as an independent and somehow skewers the whole Republican side, I think you're going to see a switch on that front, too. And But but the Democrats, if they're going to even try and push on it, they've got to make the economy and make people feel a lot better about the costs in grocery stores, the cost at the pump. Like, I was shocked going, it's the first time in my life when I was just down in the U.S. this last month. And you go to a grocery store and I've been complaining about how bad things are in Canada. And you were basically looking at the same products and putting us dollars in front of the Canadian dollar sign. And it was, that's never been the case. It's always been way cheaper for fuel for groceries in the U S and it's, it's, it was shocking trying to buy or look at, you know, different things in the U S and what the costs were. Yeah. I, I certainly have noticed that in my time since coming back from Mexico <laughs> and there's, little bit of a sticker shock there and actually you mentioned something that certainly i agree will be a factor we have the election coming up and in terms of rate hikes joe, even joe biden is saying that economy's in a sweet spot so he's not fan of any additional rate hikes not entirely surprising as he's trying to get reelected. um does make you wonder though what sort of financial and monetary stimulus we will see especially with next year being an election year. And although, like you point out, uh, basically 0% chance of a hike or cut at this meeting 
on Wednesday. And I also agree that perhaps March seems a bit early for a rate cut, unless you have some sort of overt breakage of things, because we had the inflation, the CPI inflation numbers come out on Tuesday, came in in line with the headline number at a 3.1% annual rate and the core CPI at 4%. So obviously the headline being helped by lower energy prices that have come in over the past couple of months. So, um, Which is the one risk. That's the one, you know, it's not very often now anymore. You know, the Saudis don't like seeing barrels of oil costing, you know, in the like high 60s or 70. They want hundred plus dollars. So they they'll let this happen or let keep oil prices down, but then we're going to get an inflated inflation number at some point as that moves back up, you know, to its higher numbers where they want a barrel of oil selling for. So I would, that that's the one that always scares me on inflation is they, Oh, look, we're getting inflation under control when it's, it's based off of fuel prices. Those are going to go back up. Hopefully not at the pump because that even in spite of oil falling off seems to still be record high numbers everywhere, but it would be, uh, that's the one that scares me on inflation because that's the one they can manipulate very well as they release, you know, us reserves and trying to, you know, do certain things to keep those fuel prices under control, but they don't want to keep that, that barrel of oil under like they want hundred dollar plus the people that control that number normally. Yeah, and you could certainly imagine seeing a higher oil price in our near future with everything that is going on out there. And obviously that factored into some of the price declines that we're seeing. So um will be an interesting uh, 2024. Again, a lot of things in place. We have central banks continuing to buy gold, the dynamics out of the Fed. And I can understand why a lot of these central banks are calling for higher gold price. JP Morgan even calling for a higher silver price, uh, average price above 30 in the fourth quarter. And does seem like it's set up to be a year where more money is created. And obviously we'll see how that all shakes out going forward. Any other predictions for 2024 or things that you were watching out for or think will affect the metal, Steve? No, I, I think you really, you're, you're hitting on it. It's the same fundamentals that we've talked about forever. It's, it's just, you know, it's a question of when do the powers that be step out of the way and decide they're going to make a bunch of money on the way up. And, you know, the banks are all forecasting for it to go up. So you would think that they're preparing themselves, you know, and, and shifting their focus to allow it to run up and make money on it for once. So, I, I mean, I, I, I do think 2024 is going to be a great year for both gold and silver prices, especially silver. Um, you know, if JP Morgan, I mean, it probably outperforms the JP Morgan number, but if they're even remotely close and silver, you know, even my Q4 is trading over $30 on average, that would be, would be a long overdue for the silver producers to find at least break even on their deposits. So let's, let's hope that it keeps moving up. If, if that's the low end of the spectrum, that's great. Let's hope we have a big year. We don't need the dramatic swings. We don't need the like, you know, $150, $200 gold swings in, you know, a day or, you know, multiple days. Just keep consolidating. 2000 is a great number right now. Consolidate, build strength, and then just steady jumps up to give people confidence. It's those wild swings that scare the banks. And then they end up, you know, doing what just happened. And they, even though they think next year is going to be great for gold and silver, they will jump in and short something overnight if it goes too fast on that space. So 
just steady, calm, slowly, you know, move up and we'll all be very happy. Well, that would be nice. I <laughs> wonder if we won't get more of the extreme volatility like we've seen, unfortunately, but um, I think we're going to start to see bigger moves in both of the metals really as the months go forward here and to see some increased volatility. So although I'll be rooting for your, your outlook on seeing things a little bit smoother, which would be helpful, but um, in either case, Steve uh, also perhaps you could give us an update on how things are coming along with silver Viper. I know that you've been excited to get out there and continue some drilling and also have recently announced a financing. So perhaps you could walk us through the latest that's going on there. Yeah, so we've got a, we're, it's the first time we're doing a, a life placement, which is uh, a new style this last year um, that Canada is going to let you do that allows for the shares to be free trading on your placement as soon as it closes, which is, is attractive to a lot of investors, um, you know, and in this market, we're still offering a warrant with that. So I think it's a pretty attractive placement. Um, you know, we're going to raise, that's the max that we can raise there that you're seeing on the screen. And, and the number is actually 4.25. We issued a, a, a announcement after that that just adjusted down because we can't issue more than 50% of the shares outstanding the way they calculate it. So anyways, the max is 4.25 million. Um, if we can you know, do over three on that, you're going to see a drill program very early into next year. Um, and But yeah, feel free to reach out to the company. We've got, we still have room in that placement and, and interested both, we we've done the paperwork that's necessary to allow Americans as well to participate on this life placement. Um, and it's very simple. It's actually less paperwork uh, on this style of placement. You don't have to be an accredited investor either because we're, we're doing some extra steps involved, which is another part that makes it, you know, appealing to some of those retail guys that have never been able to do private placements with the whole paper because they have to acknowledge that they're an accredited investor. Um, this one, you don't have to be. And there's, you know, basically you email it, we'll, we'll let you know there's a link on the website that you'll be allowed to access as a Canadian, as an American, you'll have to go through a separate process, but just reach out to the company and, and our corporate secretary can help guide you through what you need to do. But it's pretty exciting and, and interesting how this style of placement, you know, adapts and moves forward in our space. I think it's helpful to the companies that there, there probably needs to be some tweaks to the rules and, and everything else, but it's, it's an interesting something from the exchange that it really should help some of these companies raise capital a little bit more than, than the traditional, you know, private placement way of doing things. That makes sense. And anything you could touch on in terms of the timing, I've gotten a few questions about the timing of that. And obviously you mentioned that you're getting ready to begin drilling again, but anything you could touch on there. So yeah, we have 45 days to close the placement. Um, we announced the initial date of the 20th, when we, uh, for a first tranche closing, that's a fluid number. Um, we have to get to the minimum of the placement of 2 million, uh, before we could close a first tranche. So we're just working through that. We're getting, we're, we're moving that direction. So we may make it by the 20th, but we'll see. Um, hopefully metals prices cooperate. It makes it a lot easier when metals prices are going up in the middle of a placement, but it's like I said, I mean, whether it's us or anyone else, it's a very attractive time. If you've got capital to deploy to put into various mining companies because all of these companies should do very well as silver prices do up regardless of whether they have success early or not. And in our case, we have a lot of 
drilled targets and the ones that we're going to start on at El Ruby and El Molino were very high and very confident they're going to produce some very good results. So I think it's a great time if you've got capital deployed to reach out. Um, we're more than happy to bring in some new investors into the company and excited for people to come along on the Silver River story with us. Well, appreciate that, Steve. And perhaps before we wrap up, can you just let folks know once again, the best way to get in touch if they have questions about the project or the financing or anything else you guys are doing? Yeah, all the information is on the website at www.silverviperminerals.com. You can you know, reach management through info at silverviperminerals.com. Please feel free to reach out or you can call us through the phone number that's also on the website and you know, can reach out and use my direct link to my phone. Um, please, please don't hesitate to reach out or to wait. And if you don't want to invest, that's fine. I just want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and enjoy the holiday seasons. And, and we're excited to see what's going to come in 2024. Well, should be a fun year to watch and certainly the culmination of a lot of things that have been building in the markets for quite a while. So Steve, I'm wishing you and your family and everyone at Silver Viper a happy holiday. And it's been fun covering everything we've watched throughout the year and making sense out of the latest uh, histrionics from the fed and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what 2024 holds although at least shaping up to be a positive one for the metals and in fact 2023 uh, we do see gold up silver maybe a late year rally could get back in positive territory on the year so either case thanks as always for joining me and we will look forward to catching up with you again soon that's good take care chris